Where do we even begin with today's guest? US Army veteran, lost her left leg in a roadside bomb while serving in Iraq, came back from her rehab to become a three-time world champion paratriathlete and two-time Paralympian, including taking the bronze medal at the Rio Games in 2016. Trust me, whatever you're going through in your own life right now, I think you could do a lot worse than spend some time in the company of Melissa Stockwell in today's episode of Try Me A River. Good to be with you again. It feels like it's been a while. At least in my part of the world, the skies are blue again, the sun's back in the sky, and you can almost smell summer in the air. Spring actually starts today, March the 1st, and things are beginning to look up. Triathlon races are even starting to pop up again, after the tentative announcement from the Prime Minister last week that life might, just might, return back to some sort of normal in late June. I think the exact wording was no earlier than June the 21st, but that hasn't stopped pretty much every inhabitant of the United Kingdom looking up EasyJet and Ryanair flight prices for June the 22nd to plan our extended and long-awaited summer holidays. And I have missed triathlon racing. Like, the whole exercise thing in order to clear your head each day has been fun, but I am ready to struggle with my wetsuit in the transition zone again and risk cycling into a ditch trying to clip out of my pedals before the dismount line. I miss that buzz, that race day buzz. I actually had a really bizarre dream a couple of nights ago where I was racing in the triathlon event at the Tokyo Olympics. In this dream, it was an insanely hot day and suddenly, one by one, all the race favourites started collapsing with the heat until I was the only athlete left. And then... I walked over the line to take gold and was there standing on the podium, the only one standing on the podium because I was the only finisher. Very odd. The things dreams are made of. Anyhow, why don't we hear from someone today who has raced at the Paralympic Games in real life and actually stood on the podium? Today, it's a privilege to say I'm joined by the amazing Melissa Stockwell. Melissa is a US Army veteran who served in Iraq back in 2004 before losing one of her legs in a roadside bomb in Baghdad. She's got the most incredible story and listening to her approach to life will definitely have you stepping out of bed tomorrow morning with a new appreciation of what you have and how we're nowhere near thankful enough for what we do have. We spoke earlier this week online and amongst many other things, Melissa told me about the day she lost her leg her road to recovery after that injury, being American and proud of it, her charity foundation Dare to Try that helps other people with disabilities give the sport of triathlon a go, and also a brief cameo appearance from her dog Murphy, who was crawling all over poor Melissa more than a few times during our video call. Melissa's a real inspiration and a proper poster girl for Paralympic sport. However, before we got into the bones of our chat together, With it now less than six months until the planned date for the opening ceremony of the Tokyo Paralympics, I started by asking her if she feels confident that the Games will take place after all. 
I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Um, yeah, we still have yet to qualify. We we're supposed to have a big race in March, but other countries couldn't come because of travel restrictions with COVID. So the qualification process, I'm uh, honestly, I don't really know what it looks like right now, but um, hopefully there will be some races. Hopefully I'll do well in them and then we'll earn a spot. And then, yeah, who knows what it'll be like over there. If they're spectators or kind of what, what, what it would be like, but we'll be ready to race. Yeah. There's a lot I want to ask you about your sporting career so far. But before that, can we go back a little bit? And you have a background in the military. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Um, Can you just tell me how long you were in the army for? What training looked like for that? Yeah, tell me a little bit about your army days. So I've always kind of been a, a patriot, so a lover of, of the flag and kind of wanting to give back and um, joined the ROTC program in college in um, 2000. Uh, gosh, I was in college in 1998. So I joined ROTC program, which would kind of set me up to be commissioned as an officer in the army when I graduated. So graduated and was commissioned as an army officer in 2002. And I think, you know, the training, it's like, I, I love it. I, I loved I really loved everything I learned from the military, just the different values, um, you know, as far as giving back to something greater than yourself, teamwork, camaraderie, you know, the little things like being on time. I mean, my teammates joke with me now, if I'm not five minutes early, I'm late. So it's just kind of those little things that kind of, I don't know, they've carried over into my life as an athlete, my everyday life. And I just, I, I loved everything I learned. And then of course, you know, the various battle drills. Um, so like, Fast forward a, f- a few years, but like over over in Iraq, and if we were to you know get ambushed, or what drills are we going to do to make sure that we set ourselves up for success, basically? So, so yes, I learned a lot in the military. I still am very proud to have worn the uniform, um, and it's one of my greatest memories. I just I lo- I, I loved it. Hmm. And what do you remember from the day where you lost your leg? So I remember most of it. I um. So it was, I was in a Humvee and the roadside bomb went off. And I remember looking up and the woman in the front was yelling, IED, IED, we've hit an IED, which meant roadside bomb. And I looked up, the windshield was cracked in, our vehicle was swerving. We ended up ricocheting off of a guardrail, swerving back. We crashed into this, um, ultimately crashed into this Iraqi woman's house. And I remember everyone else in the vehicle, they got out of the vehicle, they surrounded it, like pointed their weapons out to see what they should do next. I started to get out of the vehicle, um, undid my seatbelt, saw a bunch of blood. Um, so I knew something had happened. And I remember calling out that I was hurt. I remember a medic coming up to the side of the Humvee, pulling me out of it, laying me there um, on the sands of Iraq, almost like you you know see in a movie. And he, and administer, administering first aid. And I remember, so I was completely on my back. Um, I had no idea that my leg was gone. It was actually severed at the, at the scenes. It was completely gone. No one told me it was gone. Um, I remember a lot of commotion going on around me. I remember a, a tourniquet going on and the realization that it probably wasn't as good as I thought because I knew when a tourniquet went on, whatever was below that was probably no longer. I remember them calling for um, a medevac helicopter. I remember them saying, the frequency isn't working. We need to put her into the back of a vehicle and get her to the nearest aid station. And I, w- I was lifted up, put in the back of this big five-ton truck, driven to the nearest aid station. I remember all of that. Um, I remember getting to the aid station, finally getting some pain meds there, and then being put on a helicopter, flown to the nearest American hospital, which happened to be um, in central Baghdad. 
And I remember being wheeled out of the hel- out of the helicopter, rushed into the hospital, into this like life saving surgery, and then um, and then it goes blank because I was in that life saving surgery. But I, I really remember everything up until that point, which is kind of crazy. I, I, I like that I remember it now because I kind of can go back and relive it a little bit. And then when I woke up from that surgery is when the surgeon, the gentleman next to me, I said, I think something happened to my leg. And that's when he told me that, that it was gone. I didn't have it anymore. So, so it's, it's kind of, yeah, I think it's kind of strange to remember all of it, but um, I'm, I'm glad that I do. Wow. I guess the period of rehab after that was really prolonged and you probably had some quite low moments looking ahead to the future, but at what point did you think, you know what, I can make the most of the position I find myself in and continue my sporting ambitions and make something out of all this? So I went to, um, I was sent to Walter Reed Army Medical Center, which at the time was in Washington, D.C. It was where all the wounded soldiers went from Iraq and Afghanistan. And at that hospital, when I was able to kind of look around a little bit, see where my surroundings were, I saw other soldiers missing. I mean, so much more than I was. They had, they had lost two limbs, three limbs. They lost their eyesight, traumatic brain injuries. So I looked at myself and I thought, man, I'm lucky. Like all I lost is one leg. So talk about putting things in perspective, like really early on. I mean, Yes, I lost a leg, but I was one of the lucky ones. I mean, I still had my life. I had three good limbs, my mind, my eyesight, my eyesight. So making a promise then, wanting to live my life for those who kind of gave that ultimate sacrifice. And I'd always been an I'd always been an, an, an athlete, never really an elite level athlete, but in the military, you have to stay physically fit. And I was a gymnast and um, you know, on the crew team. And so I think it's funny. I think not until something like a traumatic injury or a severe something severe as losing a leg happens to you, or at least to me, it made me want to push myself and see how far I could go. It was like, okay, well, let's see how much I can do in my life with just one leg. I didn't want to let losing a leg stop me from doing things I wanted to do. So obviously the first steps, literal steps were getting fit with a prosthetic leg, learning to walk again. And then after that, there were all these organizations who came into the hospital came into our hospital rooms, trying to get us out doing things that we never thought we'd do with two legs, much less with one. So taking all the opportunity, opportunities that presented itself. Um, and one of those was hearing about the U.S. Paralympics and realizing that I could be an elite level athlete and I could compete in the Paralympics. I could represent a country I defended over in Iraq and a pretty um, quick dream was born um, after that. What does it mean to you to be an American? Because I guess a lot of us in the wider world are kind of obsessed with America. A lot of our music and our TV comes from there. And it's a very diverse collection of states. And you say you're very patriotic. What what does it mean to you to represent America? Yeah, um, so I, I think growing up in America and seeing the flag, I see it outside my window right now, having, you know, the red, the white, and the blue, wearing the uniform, you know, truly representing and defending our country. I feel like I've been given the opportunity to do so many things that I may have never otherwise had. Um, I mean, even now, I mean, for example, as a triathlete and a female, I'm able to go outside and ride my bike on any street of my choosing any day of the week that I want. Like it doesn't, I I feel like I can, I have the opportunity to dream as big as I want to dream because there is no barriers. So I think to me, that is the greatest part about being an American, just the opportunities that we are presented with here. Mm. And one of those opportunities uh, that you've taken is to be a paratriathlete for the US team. And you've done amazingly well. Uh, so far so I believe you're a three-time paratriathlon world champion and a Paralympic medalist 
And I remember watching the footage of your race from Rio when you came third in an American one, two, three. What was that day on Copacabana like? Oh, one of the greatest days of my life. It was amazing. I mean, to start with, the date was September 11th. So, you know, just again, here in America, September 11th of 2001 was a very tragic day. It truly changed um, America, but it changed the world as well, I think. And, you know, a lot of a lot of lives were lost. Um, it changed the trajectory of my own life. I don't know if I would have ended up at a war in the Middle East without, without that. So um, that day has very much, is very meaningful um, to myself. So I think having the race on that day, Putting on the uniform, the USA uniform that morning, just knowing the race wasn't just about me. It was about, you know, those who had lost their lives and given that ultimate sacrifice. And then swimming, biking and running up and down the streets of Copacabana Beach, coming across the finish line, getting a bronze medal that felt like a personal gold with my teammates, um, you know, in a USA sweep, getting gold and silver, standing on the podium, seeing, you know, not one, not two, but three American flags go up as we heard the national anthem. And I think for us, or for me on that podium, it was about showing the power of the human spirit, number one. It was about showing the world, but Americans, especially that when adversity comes our way, when obstacles come our way, we have the power to overcome them and end up better on the other side. And just that with belief in yourself, it's just, there's really no, there's nowhere you can't go. So I think it was just, this moment of reflecting back on, you know, I lost my leg in Iraq. Here I was on the podium in Rio representing our country, my two teammates beside me, the American flag, the national anthem. I was a new mother. So all of that just came together and just, I mean, it was one of the greatest moments and days of my life. Yeah. Oh, pretty perfect. Yeah. And you are an elite Para triathlete now. How is training going for hopefully the next games coming up this summer? Yeah, um, yeah, right. Um, it's going well. So when the when the when it was announced the Olympics and Paralympics were gonna be put on hold for a year, there was a little bit of doubt because I am forty years. Well, I'm forty one now, but I was forty at the time, a proud forty year old. So um, I'm I'm okay saying it. <laughs> so, but my body, I mean, my, um, most of my competitors are you know ten years younger. I'm the only one that's married with a family with young kids. So. There was a little bit of, oh man, the whole year, can I, can I still do this? Will my body still let me do this? Um, you know, it takes me away from my family for, you know, days or weeks at a time. And then it was a quick switch to actually, I need to see this dream through to completion. And it's kind of a cool, you know, you can kind of have a positive spin where it's another year for my kids to get another year older and realize why mommy swim, bikes and runs all the time. And, you know, it's been what it was announced in March or April that they were postponed. Well, it's almost March. So it's almost been a year already, which is crazy. So time has actually worked in my favor. Uh, you know, the last couple months, I've, I'm the fastest that I've ever been. I feel the strongest I've ever been. And I'm um, looking, looking forward to see what the rest of the year brings. So training is just, I mean, it's my days revolve around it. Um, this morning, I had a hard run. We were in the pool for an hour and a half, um, you know, and kind of take it day by day. But I love it. I'm a um, decent edit. So hopefully we'll, we'll keep it up for at least through Tokyo and see what, how that goes. Do you think your army level of fitness set you up well for a career in sport? Um, I don't think the fitness did, no. So, <laughs> um, so I think, you know, so there's different branches in the military and I was part of the transportation corps. So there's transportation corps, there's logistics all the way up to, you know, the, the infantry soldiers. And, you know, so 
Transportation core, we, there, nothing that we're doing on a day-to-day basis requires us to be you know, extremely physically fit. We do have PT tests and standards that we have to meet, but there was nothing else that we needed to do physically to kind of pass those tests. So physically, no. I think what set me up for success in the military are those values that I learned and you know, wanting to be part of something bigger than myself, my teammates that I train with every day, the camaraderie that we share, having, you know, investing in each other, being on time, pushing myself at every workout out um, as as hard as I can. So I think all those things kind of add up to helping make me the best athlete I can be. So not so much the fitness side of things, but I think just the mental, maybe the mental toughness and um, just those values I learned along the way. Has it been difficult not having a fixed date to work towards this time around? Yeah. And now, now that I, I'm, I'm confident now that the games are going to happen. Um, so we have that, but you know, in October, November, I mean, we had, there were no races on the calendar, everything got canceled and to have to wake up every day and go, you know, jump in a cold pool or be away from my family. Cause I have to go on a bike ride. I mean, it was hard because you had those doubts of, well, why am I even doing this? Is it, is, is it even going to matter? But having the mindset of, well, if it does happen, what's going to matter is right now. So having that be the motivation to go out and get those workouts in. And I'm glad I did because they are, I, I see that they're paying off, but yeah, I, I it, motivating myself was, was not easy. Some, some mornings. I'd love you to talk me through the transition process in races involving amputees like yourself, because mm-hmm. I find it hard enough to quickly change out of a wetsuit with both my legs planted on the ground. Uh-huh. You do that with standing on one leg, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, as an athlete with a disability, whether it's, you know, an amputee like myself, someone in a wheelchair, a lot more comes with the race and just, you know, two pairs of running shoes and a wetsuit and your bike. So, so I had different prosthetic legs that I wear throughout the race. So, um, so how, how it works is I, I go to the swim with my running leg on because when I get out of the swim, I want my running leg there. So before I get in the swim, I take my running leg off. We're not allowed to swim with a prosthetic leg. So I take my running leg off. I get my wetsuit on and then I either get a ride on someone's back or I hop into the water to start. We always have an in-water start. You swim. I get out of the swim and there is typically somebody there that has my running leg or it's sitting on a chair or something. So Typically in like an elite level race, they have water exit handlers, they're called. They help us out of the water. So if it's a long way, we're not hopping all that way. We can kind of rest on their shoulders and they kind of bring us up to our running leg. I sit on the ground to take my wetsuit off because I can't put my running leg on unless my wetsuit's off. Take my wetsuit off, put my running leg on. I run to transition. I then take my running leg off, sit on the ground, put on my biking shoe, helmet, stand up, get my bike. And then because of this custom piece that's on my bike, I don't, I don't bike with a prosthetic leg. I have this like custom piece that's attached to the bike. I have to hop with my bike to the mount line, which trying to hop, I mean, anyone that's got two legs out there, go try hopping with one leg after a hard swim and you're about to do a hard bike. And that, it, it takes a lot out of you that. So tr- long transitions are not my friend. So I hop out on the bike, get on the bike. I pedal with one leg um, through the race come to the dismount line, get off, hop back to my transition zone area, put, rack the bike, sit down, take off my biking shoe, put on my running shoe, put on my running leg, and then stand up, run out and finish the race. So yeah, there's a lot that goes on. The hopping with the bike though is the hardest. I mean, I actually, I don't, I, I should practice it more, but like it's part of my training routine is practicing that because it, it can just take so much out of you. 
I've managed to speak to a few paratriathletes on this podcast and I'm becoming more and more of a fan of the, the sport as a, as a whole as time goes on. And one thing that they have said to me, the other athletes I've spoken to, is that they wish broadcasters give the sport more of a platform. Do you feel like that could be done better? Do you feel like it has improved in recent times? So I think it has improved, yes. Um, I think it can always improve more because I think you know, I think the general public still has this connotation that, you know, there's a special, there's the Olympics, there's a Paralympics, and there's a special Olympics. And each, each are great in, in their own right. But a lot of, a lot of the public still associate the Paralympics with the special Olympics. And so I think we've improved and that's thankfully in part to the media or to large corporations and companies that sponsor athletes and they choose to sponsor para athletes and they put them in their mainstream commercials and mainstream magazines. So the public now knows that, you know, these, these athletes, I mean, we, we work just as hard as the Olympic athletes to try to make these dreams a reality. So I think it's gotten better. I do think it has a long way to go um, just for the world to be kind of put on the same level as the, as the Olympians. But I mean, that could start with more, you know, TV coverage at the Paralympic games and which again, each games gets a little bit better, but it's just, it's nowhere near the, the Olympics. So we have a long way to go, but I, I, I'm hopeful that we're gradually kind of moving, moving in the right direction at least. Yeah, hopefully so. What one creature who is appearing a few times here is, is your dog. What, what's your dog called? my dog keeps jumping up so that is murphy 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 loves me even more when i'm trying to do a zoom call (laughs) or talk on the phone yes i'm shocked he hasn't parked yet (laughs) brilliant hello to murphy the the last thing i want to ask you before you go is about the charity that you helped found called dare to try i've had a look through your website it looks amazing the work that you do can you tell me a little bit about that yeah, so Dare to Try, um, Dare, then the number two, T-R-I. It's a nonprofit that two friends and I started in 2011. It's based out of Chicago. And we serve athletes with disabilities and get them into the sport of triathlon. So I think anyone that's a triathlete out there can agree that when you first start out in a sport, it's very daunting. I mean, you swim, bike, and run. It's like, what equipment do you get? It's three sports. How am I going to do it? But you add the complexity of somebody with a disability in a wheelchair, visually impaired, and amputation, and you say, hey, you're going to do a triathlon. And they're like, um, no way am I ever going to do a triathlon. But at Dare to Try, we provide everything they need to do a triathlon. So we provide the adaptive equipment, the programming, the training, the coaching. We will physically pick you up and or have someone pick you up and drive you to the race. Um, we serve kids, adults, injured service members. And when these athletes who think don't even know what a triathlon is, and here we are telling them that they can do one, when they get to that starting line, they swim, bike, and run. A lot of them, you know, they might be in a racing wheelchair. They might be, you know, running on a new prosthetic leg or whatever it may be. They get to that finish line and the, the self-confidence that we see, the empowerment, the, if it's a youth athlete, you see it carry over into the family of just how much their son or daughter can accomplish with their disability. I mean, I think sports changes lives, but triathlon and getting someone out there who never thought that they could do a triathlon truly changes lives. And we have impacted hundreds of athletes with disabilities all around the nation, showing them what they are still capable of. And our motto is one inspires many because our athletes inspire both on and off the race course. And it's very common to finish a race. And someone comes up and said, I didn't, I, I was too tired. I didn't think I could finish, but I saw you out there and you helped me finish. So 
Our motto is one inspires many. It's truly one of my proudest professional accomplishments, just the people that we've impacted and just being able to kind of give back to that, you know, that the next generation or the next, you know, the next person who is trying to struggle with their new disability and just kind of showing them what they can still do. Amazing. Very last thing I want to ask you. I watched an interview that you gave, I think it was a few years ago, and you said, I've done much more in my life with one leg than I would have done with two. Do you still stand by that? 100%. Yes. So it's been a long time. It's been 16 years since I lost my leg, which is kind of crazy. But it's, I think back at all the things I have done, the people I've met, the opportunities I've had. I mean, I wouldn't be a pair. I'm a very proud Paralympian. I wouldn't be a Paralympian. I wouldn't have my bronze medal. Who knows if I would have met my husband and had my two amazing kids. I mean, Murphy wouldn't be here. You know, (laughs) there's so many things that wouldn't have happened. Um, the perspective I have on life and I absolutely, I have, I'm still very much a proud, um, American, a proud amputee. I'm proud of that. I wore the uniform and I have definitely done more with one leg than I ever would have done with two. Melissa, you're very inspiring. So keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Just the most fascinating and inspiring person to spend time with. I especially loved the bit where she was talking us through the specifics of transition zones as an amputee or disability athlete. Just that idea that she's not looking for where her leg is, she's looking for the specific leg for that particular component of the race and how she needs to change between different types of leg. Just incredible, what a story, what an athlete and what a huge inspiration. Melissa's brilliant paratriathlon organization, Dare to Try, that she mentioned just there, I have put a link to it in the description of this podcast for you to read more about it and, if you can, to donate some money to their amazing work if you have a bit of spare cash lying around. If you want to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at TryMeARiver. You can send me emails at trymeariver at gmail.com. And the podcast can be found on all your favourite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Tell your friends, your families, your entire neighbourhoods about the podcast. Go and spread the good news. Just before I leave you, though, one more bit of news I want to touch on. Super League Triathlon is back, and boy, am I excited. You might remember the Arena Games that we looked at a couple of times last year that took place in Rotterdam. Shortly after lockdown was introduced, they decided to have this event where they had the runs on treadmills, the cycles on Zwift, and the swims in a swimming pool. And the whole thing was live and interactive, and you could watch it online at the Super League website. Well, it's coming back, and the Arena Games is going to take place again, this time in London, on March the 27th, less than a month away. And excitingly, it will all be live and available for every single one of you on the BBC iPlayer and the BBC Sport website. And not only that, another very exciting thing is that it features two good friends of this podcast, Vasco Vilasa and Justus Nieschlag. Justus will be defending his crown from the last time. Lots of other British talent in there as well. It's going to be a big race and it's very exciting that the BBC are getting behind this. No doubt that will attract an even wider audience to the sport we all love. And 
Who knows, as we've mentioned a couple of times in the recent past, this sort of virtual racing might become the new norm for a little while. Or, given how popular it has been, maybe a sign of things to come in the future. Maybe traditional racing will not necessarily disappear, but will make space for this sort of virtual racing alongside it. It was great fun last time, it will be great again this time. March the 27th, London, live on the BBC. Thanks again for tuning in. So, so good to have you there. Hope you're keeping well. Really, I do. It's a tough old time at the minute and I hope you're making the most of every day, making the most of the slower pace, as hard as it can be at times. And as Melissa said in our chat earlier, we don't know what's around the corner. So do whatever it is you love and don't wait until tomorrow to do it. I look forward to seeing you all again next month. But until then, take care, gang.